probably really simple prayer, but um, those of you that are from our community, we're in the middle of a drought, evidently. And uh, I know it seems a little hilarious, but we just got a, all of us got a letter who live in um, the outlying areas that they cut our water by 67%, and they're still convinced it's going to be a drought this year. And I'm convinced that the lake needs to com- be completely full. So i just been waking up in the early in the morning saying that lake needs to be completely full. This drought needs to be over for good. And uh, we don't need a drought on top of the economic challenges that we have ahead of us. So um, those of you out, out from the uh, other areas, if you'll just join with us, we're just going to pray for a moment for that drought to be completely over and for this rain to fill the lake. Uh, and we don't want it to rain into June either, so we're going we're gonna... to... Lord, we just pray... <laughs> we release the end of the drought in the name of Jesus, both in the natural and in the spiritual, in Jesus' name. Pray that the lake would be completely full by the end of this season. And Lord, we just release that over them in Jesus' name, over us, over our city, that our cities would prosper in Jesus' name. Amen. One other thing uh, we pray, we've been praying for on and off um, for the last three or four weeks as a corporate body, and that is a young man named Clark. His father worked for us. His mother died here. Um, his mother was um, our Bill Johnson's uh, personal assistant, and when she died, our prayer chapel is dedica- dedicated to her. She died of cancer 10 years ago. Her son has cancer. They, uh, the doctors came in today after this has been a long battle, and they said there's no more hope. And he's not going to make it. And we just, we just don't, we just want to contend for his name is Clark, and we want to contend for him. I don't, even, I don't even want to imagine what it's like for Mark, who's his father, to what he's going through right now. He's lost his wife to the same disease ten years ago, and so I've been on the phone with him nearly every day. So let's just contend again for Clark, can you? Will you, Father? We just contend right now for Clark in the name of Jesus. And the whole Holt family, in the name of Jesus, we release a miracle. We've been hearing about blind eyes being open. We've been hearing about tumors falling off of people. We've been hearing about the lame people walking. Just hundreds of miracles in the last two or three weeks as our students come back from ministry trips and, and our, our congregation moves in our city. Lord, right now we just take all those miracles that have happened. And Lord, we point them towards Clark. And we say yes and amen that Clark would be the next miracle that we would hear about. And let it begin tonight at 7.30 tonight that they would say that something happened, his condition changed. We bind and break cancer off of his body, off the family lineage, generational curses, whatever it is, Lord. We don't understand these things, but Lord, we just speak grace and peace to his family. We speak faith to to his father and mother. Lord, we just speak grace to his body right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for fighting with us. Well, we had a great conference. Um, you know, I, I always, you know, I, I've never been here when we had a bad conference. <laughs> I'm just being totally frank. You know, there's, there's always... In my opinion, there's conferences. You know, you know what's really strange about any kind of a uh, session or, or uh, service that you're in? You can be like sitting there going, well, that's all right, you know, and kind of 
not really touch you. And the guy next to you is like, that's the best message I've ever heard in my life. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And you're like, wish I would have listened harder or differently. Or I was, in a, I was doing a conference with some folks that, and uh, this gal was sharing, and I could not, I literally could not figure out what she was saying. And she talked for about an hour. It was, she's just a really wild lady, and she was preaching. But I, I, I mean, I didn't get one, point, one of her points. And I leaned over to Todd, one of my uh, personal assistants, and I said, Todd, you, you get this. He said, not a word. I said, me neither. As <laughs> soon as she was done, these two girls came up, and they were like, that is the best message I've ever heard in my life. I'm like, All right, you know, so... But I thought our conference was, I thought it was extraordinary. There was a couple of sessions that were amazing. Last night, uh, Leif finished with a um, whole session on eagles. Even if you didn't go to the conference, I would really encourage you to get that. I mean, I think all the sessions were great. But that one session, we did a conference together someplace back east in Pennsylvania, I think it was. And he shared this whole thing about eagles and how eagles molt and how they, they find a mate. Oh, just the part about how they find a mate was absolutely amazing. <laughs> you had to be there. It wasn't anything like that. It was, that would be one of my messages, but it wasn't his. <laughs> but it was just amazing. It was real, and, and then he talked about how the eagles go through a malting period and how the older eagles who have been through a malt come and take care of them. Oh, it was, it was a wonderful picture of our life in Christ. And if you, didn't, if you didn't go to the conference, you didn't have a chance to go, if you got that one session, uh, it's the Friday night session, totally awesome. And then Larry Randolph was here. And he had one of the funny, you know how funny Larry is, but I was just dying laughing. And uh, I don't remember what session he preached the last, I guess it would have been Thursday night. He preached Thursday night. It was just, I preached several times, but that, that was a classic too. So let's uh, put your hand on your heart right now and let's ask the Lord to give us some, you know, um, you know the priest in the Old Testament, they, um, they wore a, a, a breastplate and on the breastplate was what, uh, it's called a Urim and Thummim. And there's lots of you know, talk about what that could be, and, and theologians don't necessarily all agree. But they do agree on this, that it was probably two stones, a black stone and a white stone. And the black stone was probably the no of God, and the, yes, and the white stone was the yes of God. And they think that when, the priest, when people came to the priest and asked the priest questions, that the black stone would, would get hot or, or vibrate or somehow say to the priest... Um, no, the answer, God says, no, that's a no. And if it was a yes, then the white stone would do that. And what I'm getting at more than anything is that it's interesting that the breastplate was not, I mean, that the, that the urine thummim was not over their head, but it was over their heart. And, you know, we're called a royal priesthood. And sometimes there's things that happen that your, your heart knows, your head just doesn't understand. And I just want to pray for our heart, our heart tonight. I want to pray for the eyes of our heart to be enlightened. And I don't know if our head's going to walk out of here getting much, but I'm praying that our heart would be reassured. And Father, I pray right now for our hearts. As Paul prayed 2,000 years ago, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. I pray for our heart to be enlightened, encouraged, and strengthened tonight. Father, I pray that you would, that you would open up our hearts to receive things. People maybe that have locked their heart down, maybe they've been hurt or or there's just circumstances in their lives, just tough things that they've gone through. Father, anything that would keep them, keep us from receiving more uh, of you in new dimensions, I just pray right now that you just open up our hearts to receive from you things maybe that we've been close to in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, 
I'm going to probably read more scripture tonight than you've probably have in a a while in the pulpit. Um, I I really feel strongly that I'm supposed to uh, um, take us through an understanding of the difference between the struggle that we have with our old man and the struggle that we have with the devil. And um, I I, I told the story at uh, one of the sessions in, in the conference, but Many years ago, when we lived in uh, Weaverville, California, in Trinity County, there was a town called Lewiston, which is just um, about a little less than an hour from here, a little town of 900 people. And they, um, it's, it's kind of a, a really cool little town. It's also one of those, one of those uh, towns that you would read about in, like, uh, this present darkness, you know. It's kind of... It, it, uh, there's a road, a second access road that goes into um, Lewiston in the wintertime. It's pretty eerie. It's kind of... Kind of, there's no lights and, it's, and there's no moon. It gets really eerie and dark there. And on that road, on that windy road, there's a cabin. And that uh, a, some, a couple of friends of mine who didn't know the Lord, who don't know the Lord, um, years and years and years ago, they rented that cabin and they would come into. We owned auto parts stores, and and they would they'd come into the auto parts store and they knew I was a Christian. They go, "There's some weird stuff happening in this cabin we're renting." I'm like, "What?" And they're like, "Yeah, you wouldn't believe it." I'm like, "No, try me," you know, pretty much. Heard it all. And uh, that's in my younger days. Now I've been to Africa, and I know I haven't heard nearly close to all. And so anyway, they, they started to tell me the story that when they'd sleep at night, when they tried to sleep at night, that this man would, um, would show up in their bedroom and torment them. And I don't, I don't, there's kids here, so I don't want to tell you all the details, but you can kind of figure it out. So, like, and basically they said, the house is haunted. So anyway, so we talked about that, and eventually they just moved out. Now, I honestly don't remember if they moved out because of that, particular the first, t- you know, those, those guys, or if, uh, if they just moved out for normal reasons. I really don't remember. It's been so long ago. But I do remember this, that another couple of guys moved into that, that cabin, and they happened to also be in the automotive business. They happened to also be customers of mine. And over uh, a few months, three or four or five months, I don't remember if I brought it up or if they did, or one of the guys that lived in the cabin did, but he said, you know what, it's really weird. It's like, I think this cabin's haunted. I'm like, well, what's going on? And so anyway, the short story is, is that there was a man, they found out uh, like sometime later during that season that there was a man who was murdered in that cabin. And, um, and the, <laughs> I know this sounds so weird for people, but that, that, it, it, that man revisited people in that cabin. Now, anyway, I got a chance to go over there and pray over it, and how many of you know it wasn't the man? <laughs> figured that out, right? As I started to tell a story, you probably figured that out. And so we asked them to leave, and, and it was good. But <laughs> I was thinking about the other day, I was teaching at uh, YWAM in um, Hawaii, and I love to teach at YWAM for lots of reasons. I, I really respect the work they're doing, amazing. They're in every single country of the world. Isn't that amazing? They hope to have 5,000 bases by, I think, 2012. 5,000 bases. That's not people, just bases. <laughs> we got like 10 or something, you know? It's just like five, whatever it is. It's amazing. Anyway, but I love YWAM also because it's a melting pot for all different denominations. They come there and it's, it's really one of the only places that I, I actually get challenged in questions and answer sessions a lot because 
you know, like mostly people who come to our conferences pretty much have our DNA, people who come to our school and stuff. And YWAM, when you go to them, they, you know, they don't necessarily agree with you. So, a lot. <laughs> so I really enjoy that. Like, you know, Kathy can tell you, like, I enjoy a good debate. And if I, if, whether I win or lose, because I always, I like to learn. And I think when people ask questions, you learn a lot. And I, le- I left there, um, one, of the, one of the debates, not debates, questions and answers, it really wasn't a debate. One, uh, some of the students asked, I taught, let me back up, I'm sorry, you need this part. I taught the first two sessions on our identity in Christ, that we're no longer sinners, but we're saints. And I've done that many times here, and we, I've you know, written a book about it, and and for a whole bunch of the people that in that class of 500, that was a whole new concept. I mean, I haven't, wa- I haven't walked into a room where that's a brand new concept for that many people for a long time. And, and they began to, like, challenge me gracefully and, and, and graciously. But when we had question and answer time, they, had, they began to challenge me about the fact that we're still struggling with the old man. And it's been a long time since I've had that, that kind of, um, you know, those kind of questions and those kind of challenges. Once in a while I get one on, over the internet, but I'm like, you know, there's a whole part, there's a whole huge section of the body of Christ who still feels like their main struggle is with their old man. And, uh, and that I felt like some of this, one, that one session, that one question and answer session was so powerful as we interacted and the Holy Spirit just really came powerfully as we interact, and I'm like, you know, I really feel, I left there thinking, I really need to do a better job just sharing about this. So if you're, you know, we, we oftentimes, um, anyway, I, I feel like this is a little bit more of a teaching than probably um, I'm accustomed to sharing. But I want you to turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Um, we're going to start from verse 17. And I want to deal with, is your, is your house haunted? Is the old man who died in your house coming back to haunt you? Because how many of you know, tonight we saw a whole bunch of people killed in their house. <laughs> baptism, according, according to Romans 6, and we'll talk about that in just a few minutes, but baptism is killing the old man. We're crucifying the old man. If we're crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I want to ask you a question. When you kill the old man, is it possible for him to come back and haunt your house? Is your house haunted? Romans chapter 5. Let's go verse 17. For by the transgression of one, the death, death reigned through one. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one, Jesus Christ. So then, as though one transgression, so then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, so um, through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. As though, as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners. Even, the, even, the, even through the obedience of one man, the many were made righteous. The law came so that transgression would increase, but where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, let me just stop there for a minute and let's just pick up where we're going here. Paul is talking about the difference between when Adam sinned, every person on earth caught the disease. From then on, we were born with a different nature. When, I want to say this. Adam, when, before Adam sinned, Adam did not have a sin nature. How do I know that? Because when God made Adam and Eve and all in Genesis 1 and everything that God made, at the end of his creation, he said it was very good. Now, this is really important. It was very good. It, God could not look at Adam as someone who had a sin nature and say he was very good. Are you with me? What's the point? When Adam and Eve chose to eat, and I, I think they ate figs, my personal because of the effect they have on your body i think that the fig is still cursed it's just my personal opinion when adam and eve ate the the forbidden fruit they did not do it because they had a sin nature they did it without a sin nature now why is that important well as we as we move into the teaching i I want people say you mean we can't sin say no you can sin but it's not your nature to sin and what's the point? Adam did not sin with a sin nature. He sinned without a sin nature. And when he sinned, he, he, he it caught the sin disease and infected all of humanity. And what happened is, is that it says that through one man, sin, sin reigned. And then through another man, Jesus Christ, righteousness reigned. Are you with me? And he said, listen, this is what happened. He said when Jesus died on the cross, Romans 5, just takes, we, take, we took just a part of it. When Jesus died on the cross, he released grace to us, and he said, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Are you with me? Okay, now, he he makes such a great case for grace in chapter 4 and chapter 5, and we didn't read any of chapter 4, that he ends chapter 4 with this thought, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And what he's he's saying is, is that the more there's sin, the greater the grace. Are you with me? He makes such a great case for sin releasing grace in our life, that he has to stop and make this statement in chapter 6, which you know there wasn't chapters when he wrote this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we, die? How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Okay, he says, he says listen, there's, we're, he says, when Jesus died on the cross, he released grace to us, and, and he said, listen, it doesn't matter how deep of sin you're in. It doesn't matter how dark of a place. And then he begins to say, listen, let me just, let me just really encourage you. If you're in the deepest, darkest place, the, the greater the sin, the more the grace. Like you can't, be, you can't be so far from God that grace can't save you. You can't be so far from... It doesn't matter what you've done. Listen, it doesn't matter that you've murdered, you've, you've done something terrible, you, you were a you were molest, child molester, you were, it doesn't matter how far you got away from God. Grace can save you. As a matter of fact, the deeper your sin, the deeper the grace that saves you. And he makes such a great case from chapter 4 and 5 that he realizes in chapter 6, wait a second, wait a second, you could be thinking, I'm saying, hey, why don't you sin so you get more grace? That's how great of a case he makes for it. And he goes, wait, wait, wait. Wait, you're, you're misunderstanding me if you're thinking I'm saying we should sin so we can get more grace. That's not what I'm saying. Be- and then he makes this point. How, how can those of us who've died still sin? Are you with me? Now, he makes the point in, um, in verse 20 
when the law came, when the law, the law came so that transgressions would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounds all the more. Let me just stop there and say this. How many of you know that you can't sin by mistake? There's a difference between a mistake and a sin. The only way you can sin is to know that what you're doing is wrong and do it anyway. I had a young man stand up and challenge me at YWAM. He said, can I ask you a question? He was kind of passionate. I said, yeah, he's getting really frustrated with me. I said, yeah. He said, can you go a whole day without sinning? I said, uh-huh. He goes, he sits down. I'm like, well, that was simple. I thought he was going to like take her on to the... I, I said, I, I've gone a whole week without sinning. Now he looks like he's in shock. And so, and so we started, I started to say, well, wait, wait a second, let's define what sin is. Sin means that you knew something was wrong and you did it anyway. You cannot sin by mistake. Now it says that when the law came, sin increased. Why did it increase when the law came? Because, listen, how did you, how did you judge whether or not you were sinning before the law? How many of you know that Abraham lived before the law of Moses? Are you, am I losing you? Is this boring? Okay, Abraham lived before the law of Moses. But was there still sin in, Ab- in the days of, before the law? Yes, there was. But how many of you know, that how, so how did God determine whether or not you sinned? Because there is a conscience that every person has. There is, everyone is born. In the deepest parts of Africa, they've never heard of Jesus. How are they going to be judged? By what they thought was right and wrong. It said, Jesus said it this way, he says, by your words will you be judged, and by your words will you be condemned. In other words, if you said, hey, that's wrong, let's say you say your neighbor does something, you go, that's wrong, God takes that note, okay, take note, Chris said this is wrong, and then when you break that rule that you made for yourself, God goes, wait a second, you said that was wrong, you broke your own law. So what were you judged before there was a law, what were you judged by? Your own conscience. You said that was wrong, but you did it anyway. Are you following me? But what happened when the law came? When the law came, you went from having these many rules? God goes, because man said, listen, we don't want a relationship with God. We want rules. We'll get to heaven by keeping the rules. God goes, you want to keep the rules? Okay, here's the rules. (laughs) And what happened? Suddenly, I became aware that a whole bunch of my behavior that I've already been doing, are you with me, is now wrong. Now, Guess what? From that point on, if I continue in the behavior, now I know right from wrong. If I do it, now it's sin. (laughs) Okay, well, some of you got that same look that young man had. Sin is a heart issue. So a mistake and a sin aren't the same thing. I can, can, you know, I've used this example many times. I can back my car up and run over somebody and kill them by accident. How many of you know... That's sad. It happens all the time. Accidents on the road. They're called accidents for a reason. It's called an accident. I, did it, I didn't do it on purpose. How many of you know that, that there's a mess to clean up there? There's, there's, there's grief. There's all that stuff that, that happens with a mistake. But how many know I won't have to answer to God for it? I didn't do it on purpose. It wasn't a hard issue. How many of you know that I can see somebody on the sidewalk I'm mad at, drive my car up on the sidewalk, run over their foot, I didn't kill them. All I did was break their foot. But how many know I'm going to answer for that from God? Why? I did it on purpose. 
It's not the depth of the damage that, ca- that, that determines whether I sinned or not. Okay, well. So when somebody says, have you sinned? <laughs> it, you know, can you go a whole day with sinning? Well, yeah, you know, I've slept in. No, but what, 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 on a serious note, what some people are saying is, can you go a week without making a mistake? <laughs> me? No, me. No. No. My whole staff is up in the front and like, amen. No, he can't. But it's a diff- there's a difference between, hey, I hurt your feelings. I said something I, I wish I wouldn't have said. I didn't realize. And, and you know what? Watch this. I'm mad at you. I'm going to hurt you. How many of you know that one I'll answer for God for, but I have a mess to clean up with both of them? Just one isn't with God. If that makes sense. Okay, let's go on. Romans chapter 6. Are you there? Okay. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Okay, mark that in your, in your mind. How can we... Because this is going to get challenged when we get to chapter 7. How... How... <laughs> may it never, okay, how shall we who died to sin live in it? Therefore we have been buried with him, therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Now for we have become for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self everybody say our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Okay, what's the point? You got baptized, why? So you can kill the old man. What's the point? So that you no longer are slaves to sin. How come you're not a slave to sin? Because the old man that was a slave to sin died. He's dead. Dead, 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 dead. Forty-four times in Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, it says, You're dead. Dead people don't sin. Verse 10. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin but alive to God. Okay, stop for a minute. Look down at yourself. Say this. I consider myself dead to sin but alive to God. Okay, consider means to think of yourself that way. Think of it like this. I'm thinking I'm dead to sin. Alive to Christ. Are you with me? Okay, verse 14. For sin shall no longer be master over you. You are not under the law, but under grace. But thanks be to God that though we were... Uh, thanks be to God that though we were slaves to sin, you've become obedient from the heart so that the form, of, the form of teaching which you were committed, and having been freed from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. Okay. You're free from, you're freed from sin, and you're slaves to what? Oh, righteousness. Okay. Now, turn to chapter 7. Are you there? Verse 1. Do you not know, brethren, I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? Okay, listen to this. The law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he what? Lives. Okay, remember, this is after chapter 6, 
where I think 28 times in chapter 6, he says, you're dead. You're crucified, you're dead, you're dead, you no longer live, you're dead, you're crucified, you're dead. Are you with me? Now he gets to chapter 7. Do you not know, brother, and I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? What's the point? You're dead. Okay, now in case you don't know that, he goes on. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living. For if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she's joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law, so she is not an adulteress, though she's joined to another man. Okay, this is kind of simple but complicated. Okay, this woman, she's married to this guy, right? She runs off with another guy, right? Now she's considered an adulteress. Okay, now think about this. Under the law, she runs off with another guy. She's, she runs off with the other guy. She's an adulteress. She's an adulteress one year, two years, three years, four years. Then the guy she was married to dies. That she was married to dies. And he goes, listen, now because the old guy died, she's no longer adulteress. Is her actions the same? Yes. But is she guilty anymore? No. Are you with me? Now, let's go on. Let's look at the very next verse. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may be joined to another, him who was raised from the dead, in order that he may bear fruit unto God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful fashion, uh, passions were aroused by the law. We're at, I'm sorry. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members of our body to bear fruit to death. But now we've been released from the law, having died... To, to that which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Okay, so get this. So Paul says, listen, when you were married to the other man, you were married to another man. And what happens under the other man? You were a sinner. You were an adulteress. You, got, you getting this metaphor? He goes, but, and that old, the other man you were married to was called the law. You were married to this law. But guess what happened? The law died in Christ, and you got married to another man. And no longer are you a sinner. Why? Because the man you were married to croaked. You're no longer under the law. <laughs> okay. Well, now, it goes on and on, and I wish we had time to read the whole thing, because you really kind of builds, builds on this. And now Paul starts to talk about his struggle. Now this is where it gets complicated. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into the bondage to sin. Now let's back up. Look at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold in the bondage to sin. For what I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I hate... I do not, and I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I did not want. Okay, now, we're going to go on, but I want to stop for a minute. Now, now if you just took those verses, chapter verse 14 on, you think that Paul's talking about his current condition. And, you, and this is, goes on, this is over and over. It's like, look at Paul struggled with sin. 
No, he didn't struggle with sin because you didn't read chapter 4, 5, and 6 and the first half of 7 before you got to this verse. He's talking about when he was a Pharisee married to the law. That's how he opens the chapter. And he goes, listen, when I was a Pharisee married to the law, I knew the right thing to do because the law told me. See, I got all these rules. See, transgressions increased when the law came. Why? Because now I knew all the right things to do. And I wanted to do the right thing, but I couldn't do the right thing because I had no power to do the right thing. I was married to the other man. So I knew all the right things to do, but I had no power to do them. He's not talking about his current situation. You can't get that out of it because in chapter 5 and 6, and then in chapter 8, he's saying, how can dead people sin? That's his whole point of of Romans, that you're free from sin. That's the whole point of of Romans. You're no longer under the law. You're free from sin. Now you've received the Spirit. So he isn't saying, I'm currently struggling. He's He's talking in first person about, he's saying, listen, I know this struggle. This guy, remember he opens and he says, listen, um, or do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. And then he begins to personify. He goes, I know this really well. I was a Pharisee. I knew the law. I taught the law. And let me tell you how it felt to live like that. And he begins to describe his life as a Pharisee. I taught people to do this stuff. I taught the law. But guess what? I couldn't keep the rules myself. Are you following me? And he goes on to say, verse 21, I find this principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law working, uh, working in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Okay, do you understand? He says, listen, it's making me a prisoner of the law of sin. But remember, chapter 5 and 6 says, I'm no longer a prisoner of sin, Because dead people don't sin. (laughs) Okay. Thanks be to... Okay, look at the next verse, verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that then on one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. On the other hand, my flesh is serving the law of sin. Therefore, verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set you what? Free from the law of what? Sin and death. For what the law could not... Verse 3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled, uh, fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the... Spirit, for those who walk according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who walk according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. Now, what's it say? Verse 9, However, you are not of the flesh, but are of the Spirit, if indeed God dwells in you. Uh, sorry, indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead yet because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if, we, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your what? Mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells you. What's, what's the point He's making? 
He says, listen, even, even if you're, when you receive Jesus, you died to sin, you became alive to Christ, and you go, okay, I'm alive in the Spirit. He goes, yeah, you're not just alive in the Spirit. Listen, he wants to give life to your mortal bodies. That's the part of you that he said you were warring with when you were under the law. He says, listen, you were, your, your, your old man was warring with God, but God wants to give life to your mortal bodies. He wants to free you from that war that you were under when you knew all the right things to do, but you couldn't do them. <laughs> okay. Now, let's um, turn to Galatians chapter 5. Is this too much scripture for one night? Verse 16. I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the what? Desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. How many of you are led by the Spirit? Well, let me tell you something. Let me be really clear. If you're, Paul said that if, you're, if you receive Christ, you're led by the Spirit. He says nobody, anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of God does not know God. So his theology is, if you know God, you're led by the Spirit. You got me? But if we walk, verse uh, 17... For the flesh, I'm um, sorry, verse 18. For we are led by the Spirit, we're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Which I forewarned you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not what? Inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, what's the last part of that? Against such thing, there is no law. Okay, now, the reason I wanted to read that list and take all that time about the flesh is because of this next verse. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28 says this, So husbands ought to love their own wives as they... As, the, as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as all, Christ also does the church. Did you get that? Verse 28 and 29. Okay, here we go. Follow me. We have the flesh that's supposed to be dead. That you can't, you can't think from that flesh, because that flesh is at war with God. What is a description of the flesh that you aren't supposed to let live? Galatians 5. The deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, empty, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger. It goes on and on. That flesh right there is against God. Are you with me? When you got in the baptismal tank, you got in the baptismal tank, you drowned that man. He died. Are you with me? He's dead. You drowned him, he's dead. He's the old man. But guess what? You got a new man. You got a new flesh. Remember Romans 8 says that God even wants to give life to your what? Mortal bodies. 
Okay, now, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul uses the flesh as a positive. Same word in the original Greek. He says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Wait a second, you just told me to kill it. You just said that if I set my mind on it, I'm dead. Now you're saying that Jesus loves the church like I love my flesh. Am I supposed to kill my flesh or nourish and cherish my flesh? Well, it depends on what kind of flesh you're talking about. You're supposed to kill the flesh that has jealousy, enmity, outbursts of anger. and So that flesh died in the tank. You're supposed to leave him dead. But the new flesh that you got, because in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, not a new spirit, a whole new creation. That new flesh you're supposed to nourish and cherish. You're not Listen, the cross was for the old man, not for the new man. A lot of people are crucifying the, cro- the, the new man when you did that at baptism. <laughs> the word nourish and cherish is the same word in 1 Thessalonians 2.7. We prove to be gentle among you as, nursing mother, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her children. The word tenderly cares is the same word nourishes and cherishes. You're supposed to tenderly care for your flesh. I can't do that, man. I mean, I don't understand. If I do that, I'm going to be at enmity with God. No, no, no. Listen, that's the old man that you crucified. I'm still wrestling with him. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not wrestling with him. Well, Paul did. No, that isn't what Paul was saying. Paul is saying he used to wrestle with that man when he was a Pharisee. He really wanted to do the right thing but had no power to do it. The only way that you can wrestle with the old man is to be a Pharisee. Which I don't think you want to be because Jesus wasn't very kind to them. Second Peter 1.4 By these he has granted to us his precious, precious and magnificent promises so by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Okay, what did, what did Peter just say to you? You received what? The divine nature. Titus 2.11 For by grace God has appeared bringing salvation to all men instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly righteous and godly in this present age. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be godly. Now, listen, um, is this too many scriptures? Am I losing you? Okay, First John 6, a bunch of you are like... Some of you are like, if you could read better, it would help. Jesus told the story. He told the story about the parable about the sheep. And he said, listen, what happens when when one sheep leaves the flock? He says the shepherd leaves the 99, goes after the one. Remember this? And he says, and he rejoices more over the one than he rejoices over the 99, right? And then in in chapter 15, verse 7, he says, I tell you that in the same way there shall be more joy in heaven 
over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I don't know if you got that. Let me just read it to you. I tell you that in the same way there shall be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need what? No repentance. What's the norm in the kingdom? That you need no repentance. 99 sheep didn't need repentance. One did. Why do we make normal the one? Why do we reduce the standard to one person who has a struggle, build a whole doctrine around that one person, and reduce the standard so that everyone else feels like they can live however they want to live, and, and God doesn't call them to a higher standard, and then use Paul as an example. When Paul's the greatest writer on you having a new nature in the whole New Testament. I'm not trying to tell you that You know, if you're sinning, you're a bad person. Oh, you're terrible. You're not a Christian. I'm simply saying that if somebody taught you that sinning is the normal Christian life, then you're sinning by faith. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to say, listen, Jesus has something much better for you. And if someone taught you a lie, you're living out a lie and you put your faith in a lie. And guess what's happening? You're empowering a lie in your life. You're like, I'm struggling with my old man. Okay, well, if you are, it's because someone taught you to, and you're necromancing. You're going back to the grave and raising the old man, kicking him, jumping on him, stepping on him, and thinking he's haunting you. You're the one haunting him. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you one more set of scriptures about that. I'm sorry. But, <laughs> I am not going to have this argument with anyone else. 1 John 1, 6, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. You're like, oh, there it is, right there. Okay, let's finish. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word's not in us. There it is, right there. My little children, I am writing these things to you, next verse, that you may not sin. If anyone sins, did you get that? If. If anyone sins. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Okay, um, we're going to read more of John just to really get... So you'll get this. But he's saying, if you say that you don't sin, you're a liar. What's he talking about? You can't come to Jesus as as a non-sinner. You can't say, I don't, you know, listen, I'd love to come to you, but I didn't sin. He's saying, no, you can't do that. You have sinned. If you say that you, you haven't sinned, you're a liar. But once you receive Christ, what's supposed to happen? You're not supposed to sin anymore. Then he goes, wait a second, if you do, you have an attorney. If you do. Not when you do, if you do. They go, well, I don't think he really meant that. Okay, well, let's go on to chapter 3. Verse 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. It's verse 5. No one who abides in him... You guys, you've given up on following me, haven't you? 
No one who abides in him sins, and no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has, was sinned, has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Here's the very next, word, the very, very next verse. Okay, the Son of Man appeared to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone that does not practice this righteousness does not, is not from God. Well, brother, you know, Paul would have a problem with John. No, he didn't. You'd misunderstand the verses. John says that no one who abides in God sins. Now, he's not talking about that. Remember, in the first chapter, he goes, but if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. So he's leaving a little room like, all right, all right, all right, all right. You might sin once in a while and need an attorney. Do you understand that when you sin at all, you need an attorney? You know why you need an attorney? Because he took away every excuse you have for sinning. So now you need an attorney to defend you. You need an attorney to defend you because you have no reason to sin. He says, listen, if you sin, Jesus will represent you in court. If you do. But the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who remains in sin doesn't know God. Period. Okay, done with that. Let's move on. You go, man, I'm struggling because I'm, I'm struggling with sin. Okay, listen, don't get upset. If you were taught, if you were taught that Christians are supposed to sin, then literally you were, you were not released, grace wasn't released on you to be free from it. This isn't about, this isn't con- condemning you. Like, I'm not condemning you, I'm giving you grace. Like, get, look, look, you don't have to live like that. You don't have to live like that. It isn't that you're not going to get to heaven if you do. It's, you know, it's like, why, why do you want to live like that? Why do you want to? You don't, you don't need to. So you're saying, okay, so what you're saying is that I shouldn't be struggling. No, I didn't say that. I said you shouldn't be struggling with your old man. Paul said in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against... Oh, that's really clear, isn't it? Well, wait a second. Isn't that the guy who wrote that he was struggling with his flesh? Then why did he write in Ephesians 6, our struggle's not against flesh and blood? Because he obviously wasn't talking about his current condition. He was talking about his condition under the law. So then he makes a point. Ephesians chapter 1, he says, in fact, I'm going to read it to you, even though I've read so much scripture to you tonight. Dan would be so proud of me. I wish he was here tonight. Listen to chapter 1. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what, the hope of his, what, what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand 
in heavenly places, far above all rule, power, authority, dominion, and every name that's ever named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and he gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. How many of you know that Jesus conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave, and then he released all dominion, authority, and power, and every name that's ever named, he released you to have authority over every name that's ever named, he put it under your feet. Did you just read that with me? And he said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In other words, he said, listen, unless God enlightens you, you won't understand this. That everything that God ever created is under your feet. Now, the same book, chapter 6, listen to this. Finally, be strong in the Lord, the strength of his might. Verse 10, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And he goes on like that. Therefore, take on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. When you've done everything to stand, he goes on to say, then stand. How many of you know that he's talking about a season in our lives when the goal at some, in some seasons in our life isn't to gain ground, it's just to stay standing? Okay, I want you to get this. Listen, if you don't get anything else tonight, get this. Are there struggles in your life? Yes, let's make sure you're fighting the right enemy. How do you win if you're fighting the wrong enemy? How can you win a battle if you don't even engage the right enemy? The devil loves to make you think that you're fighting you because then he just can leave you alone while you chase your tail, bite it, pull on it, rip it out, and cause yourself more and more pain thinking you're doing something and you're living in a haunted house. And he is the one haunting the house, but you don't know it. You think it's the old man who died in the house. And you spend all your time trying to kill a man who's already dead. And he loves it because he wears you out while you, while you go after a guy who is already dead. And you can just wear yourself out, just kicking him around, throwing him around, stepping on him, jumping on him. He's already dead. He's dead. He's dead. And, he come, and the devil comes over and does a little bit more of this, and you go back over there, and I'll get you up. So you get around. Let me come over here. And he just loves it because you think you're struggling against... You can't win a fight because you're fighting the wrong guy. You're not fighting the right guy at all. He's dead. Then he goes, and as soon as you just about start to let him... Okay, I think he's dead. He goes, well, how about Romans 7? The great apostle Paul struggled. You're like, yeah, I don't get him. You can't win the battle because you're not even engaged with the enemy. You have struggles. Let me say this. The normal Christian life is you struggle. Not all the time. Paul called it an evil day. There are seasons of warfare and seasons of peace. If you haven't figured that out, read Psalms 23. The guy should know. The psalmist ought to know what he's talking about. When he wrote, the, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by the still waters. He restores my soul. Oh, 
I don't like that. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overfloweth. Yea, verily. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's go back to the green pastures and the still waters. How many know you lie down in the green pastures? You lie down by the still waters. But when you're walking through the valley, you walk. You keep going. Do not camp. Do not lay down. Do not go back. Keep going. And what's the goal in the valley? It's it's scary here. Yes, I know. Just keep walking. I think I'm going to die. That's why it's called the valley of the shadow of death. You feel like you're going to die. Something terrible is going to happen. What's happening? Keep walking. Don't think. At least not about what he's trying to get you to think about. When you've done everything to stand, stand. Then he gives you all these ideas about what you should be doing. You know, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the, you know, the belt of truth, and so on and so forth. He gives you all this stuff. And he goes, all right, in the evil day, the goal is to stay standing. You'll be able to move forward later, but right now the goal is just like endure the storm. Are you with me? So you're like, is it normal to struggle? Yes, in season it is normal to struggle, but know who your enemy is so you can at least fight the person who's fighting you and not somebody who's dead. Okay, that's a good word actually. Can I read you Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 in the Message Bible? Okay. God is strong. He wants you strong. So take everything the Master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you'll be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that you'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is a four keeps, life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. You're up, <laughs> you're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God's issued, so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. <laughs> when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is, indispensable, is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential for ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and the sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirit up so that no one fails or falls behind. That's pretty good, isn't it? I'll end with this. I want to read you just something. I'm on page 7 and I've got 14 pages. So I think we're going to have to land someplace halfway through the flight. Let me read you something I wrote a year and a half ago. Spiritual conflicts most often occur when we advance into new territory that's inhabited by evil spirits. 
Much like Joshua's promised land experience or, ne- or Nehemiah's revealing of the walls, the enemy def- uh, defends his territory when we are pushing forward into new land. Most Christians are completely unaware that these are real spirit wars and retreat at the first sign of conflict because they fail to realize the true source of the battle. It's important to understand that evil spirits attack by giving you thoughts called flaming arrows that are compelling. In other words, they make you feel like you want to do them even though they're opposite of your history and your nature. Then those same spirits accuse you of having these thoughts and feelings. If you believe these accusations, you lose confidence in yourself and God's ability to keep you and you begin to wind down into depression, anxiety, and self-hatred. The war is finally won when you recognize that these thoughts are not your own and resist them. Paul said our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, powers, and so on. In other words, in other words, because these thoughts are manifestations of evil spirits and not bad ideas, when you decide to resist them, it becomes a struggle, an intense battle for land and the spirit. Most people retreat or digress to try to find peace or solace instead of press in and defeat the enemy and obtain their inheritance. A few things that are important to remember in these times is that these evil spirits have no power over you, even though it feels like they do. You have power over them. And secondly, these battles come in waves, and they will not last forever. And lastly, you probably did nothing wrong to cause this battle. As a matter of fact, you're most likely experiencing this battle because you're doing something right. I want us to stand, and I just want to pray for you right now. You know, I have preached this message three times in my life. that I can remember. If it's been more, I don't remember it. I've never had more resistance over a message than I've had over this message in 30 years. I don't mean from people. I don't mean from people. I mean, building up, if I feel like I'm supposed to preach this message for a week, it will be a challenge at every turn. And I'm like, I know I'm supposed to preach this message. And I've felt for probably a month that I was supposed to share this. The first part of what I shared about the flesh and all. I, I don't think I've done that except for in the school before because obviously it takes so much time to read all the scriptures, but you, there's, you just don't have a good foundation if you don't, if you don't in fact, really, you, sh- you should really go home and read chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8 in Romans because I, what I did is a hack job on it. That's the truth. I read a lot of scripture, but it doesn't come close to the case he builds. And then you should read the entire book of First John. And when you get done with that, you'll conclude. There's no other conclusion except for you're free from sin, your old man's dead, and God has given you grace for a new life. It is true, it is true that your flesh, your new man, needs to grow and learn. Even Jesus, it says that Jesus, um, he Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. Sorry, I have two scriptures going through my mind at the same time. Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. How many know Jesus never sinned? But he still had to grow, even though he was a sinless man. How many know that your flesh has things to learn? I am not saying that your flesh, your new man, doesn't have things to learn, and he doesn't have to grow, and he doesn't have to grow up. How many of you know that when you received Jesus, you became like a little baby? Does a little baby need to grow up? Yes. Am I saying that you never have a problem with your flesh? No, I'm not. I'm saying 
that your flesh is immature. It needs to grow up. It, needs to, it, needs, it learns through the things it suffers, just like Jesus learned through the things he suffered. That's a whole lot different than I'm prone to do evil. The only case I'm making tonight is you are not prone to do evil, and when you feel prone to do evil, follow this, when you feel prone to do evil, it's called an attack. Fight the right guy when you feel prone to do evil. You have a temptation. A temptation means you feel prone to do something wrong. You're tempted. How many know it's not tempting if you don't feel like you want to do it? It says Jesus was tempted in every way, but he didn't sin. When you get tempted, what do you do? Resist and don't look in. Listen, the worst time to go to the to to decide that you're going to get a pimple out of your belly button is when someone's trying to kill you. Exactly the wrong time to operate. Listen, that's the lie by the still waters, green pastures. Fine, work on your pimples there. Listen, anyone who's ever been in this battle and you know what I'm talking about, you so want to look inside and say, what's wrong with me? There are times for the Lord to search you and find things wrong with you. But it is not when you're in the battle. You can picture an army, you know, in, a, in, this, in this firefight, and you turn to your friend and go, I think I got a hangnail. It's like, forget your hangnail right now. This may be a real problem, but I think we have a bigger one out here. Are you with me? It's like there are, t- there are seasons to deal with your issues, and there are seasons to keep your head up, keep your, your breastplate on, your, your shield up, your wep- are you getting this? Like learn, we need to learn, and I'm speaking to me now, we need to learn the seasons of our life. In peacetime, great, go to the counselor, get some help, you probably could anyway, but you understand what I'm saying. I, I'm not trying to make a set like here's another law to follow, I'm simply saying that, yeah, some people in the battle have to go to the medic. They get wounded and, they, and they're no longer can fight. I get that. I understand that. But, but what I'm saying is, is that understand seasons. Don't fight an, somebody who's dead. R- receive grace tonight. You're like, all right, you know what? I've got the sin problem in my life. Okay, Chris just said I'm not a Christian. No, I'm just trying to give you grace to get out of it. You don't have to live like that. I want to say this. If you want to live like that, I have a struggle with you. So does God. If you're struggling with sin and you want out, I just give you grace tonight to get out. You can get out. You don't have to live like that. Does that mean I'm Superman? No, it could mean that you're a little baby that needs to grow up. I don't mean that harshly. You're a little baby that needs to grow up and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to fall down you're going to do stupid stuff and it's not because you're... Prone to sin or anything like that. It's just because you're immature and you need to grow. And all of us need to grow. And God gives lots of grace for us when we need to grow. We have lots of grace for people when you need to grow up. I'm glad I'm mature. <laughs> you ever surprise yourself about how immature you are when God tests an area that has never been tested before? And you're like, dude, I am an infant over here. How can I be a... I am, I'm like a man-child. How many of you have figured that out before? 
you go through something and you're like, I am so like, let me get the flu, dude. Everyone in my house knows it. Like, and, and my children, I call them and we have the priest come over. <laughs> give me the last, I'm not even Catholic, but just in case they're right, I want to make sure like, I get in. Because Peter was the first pope. I want to make sure that he likes me. So let's pray right now. I want us to pray. <laughs> Sorry. Holy Spirit. I just don't want anyone to leave confused. Holy Spirit, I just pray tonight that you would, make, that you would take these words that, that I do realize could be really confusing for people, especially for people who are struggling and they could feel condemned or leave depressed, which is the exact opposite of what you told me to teach tonight. Father, I pray that you'd give them grace tonight. That you'd give them grace. That you, they would know that you're long-suffering, that you're merciful. And, but that all that wouldn't keep them stuck. That it would, they would feel hope tonight. I don't need to stay like this. I don't need to be like this. I don't have to be, stay angry. I don't have to stay in, the, in this pornography. I don't have to stay stuck in this, in this relationship I'm in. And tonight I, got, I, I realized tonight that, that God's given me something I didn't know I had. Father, I pray for people that, that could be hurt tonight by this word. I, just, I pray for grace to be on them tonight. Oh God, would you reach out? Would you deliver people tonight who've been stuck? Would you deliver those people who are in this in here tonight just having to endure this message? Father, I pray that you just that you would reach out to them, that you would touch them in the in the depths of who they are. And let them know, Father, may you kiss them into a new dimension. May you love them into a new dimension. But Father, I pray that tonight that this word would equip a whole bunch of people who have been kicking and and, and, and been defeated. And they realize, you're the one. You have, been, you have been deceiving me, and now you're in trouble. Lord, I pray that tonight would be a problem for the devil. I pray for that. Lord, I just pray for people to get delivered tonight. That they would realize that that haunted house, that isn't the man who died in that house. It's an evil spirit that took advantage of that. Lord, I pray that tonight that they'd realize their house is not haunted by their old man. Their house is haunted by their enemy. Father, I pray tonight that you just begin to release. I want everyone just to close your eyes and just begin to just raise your hands. I'm just going to pray for a spirit of deliverance to be over this house tonight. God, I just pray for a spirit of deliverance. People right now that have been under the power and influence of the enemy and they did not know it. Lord, I pray tonight that you would just remove their blinders. Like Nehemiah. Like Nehemiah when he said, should a man like me flee?